And this morning I am thankful to the Lord for the privilege to address such a profound topic such as the Lord's Supper. Uh, the Lord's Supper is one of the marks of the true church and what we call an ordinary means of grace. Uh, this is speaking of the means that God has chosen to use for our salvation and nurture. Now, these are the means which God has chosen to communicate His grace to our souls, and it feeds and nurtures our growth in grace. He didn't choose what seems to be powerful to the world. He didn't choose social or political activism. He didn't choose immediate divine visions for today or immediate miracles or immediate revelation today or anything else extravagant. He chose ordinances or what we call simple and ordinary means. This is foreign to modern evangelicalism today, being ordinary when they stress the extraordinary. He chose simple and ordinary means of the preached word, sacraments, and prayer. So when we come to church, we hear the word of God preached. We see and partake of the visible and physical signs and seals of the covenant of grace and the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Then we respond with prayer. Now these means do not save us in themselves. They are just vehicles. We're not talking about magic here. They don't have the power to save us and nurture us in themselves without the sovereign working of the Holy Spirit within us, causing us to respond to the word, partake of the sacraments, and pray by faith. This is important to understand because without faith, these means do nothing for us. Rather, they become signs of judgment against us. Just as Judas who would partake in the Lord's Supper, yet he never truly believed. And that was the problem. If you're not familiar with the language of a sacrament, you're probably thinking, this sounds Roman Catholic. But it's not. It has been used by all of the early reformers. So what is a sacrament? Listen to how our Shorter Catechism defines a sacrament as a holy ordinance instituted by Christ wherein, by sensible signs, Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. This is exactly what we see in the upper room as Jesus and his disciples celebrate his Passover meal, where he will institute a new meal that the saints are to enjoy until his return. So let us read. From Mark chapter 14, I will be reading verses 12 through 26. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city. And a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, 
The teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Other than when Jesus was born, this is no doubt one of the most solemn occasions in all of the scriptures leading up to the crucifixion. And it occurs during one of the most, if not the most, important celebrations in the Jewish calendar, the Passover. In the Passover, in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they were celebrating how God passed over their homes because they were covered by the blood of a slaughtered lamb that was placed on their doorposts and lintels when they were enslaved in Egypt. Which means God passed over their homes as he judged the rest of Egypt and killed all of the firstborn from the land, including Pharaoh's son. This would eventually lead to their exodus out of Egypt and their salvation. And while they were in their homes, protected by the mark of the lamb, they were given instructions on how they were to eat. This is what they celebrated together that night. But that was not all they were going to celebrate that evening. To get a feel of what was going on in Jesus' mind and emotions and what was about to happen to him, let us refer to Luke's account. It says, And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Right here, he is telling us that this Passover meal has a fulfillment. And he will reveal to them what that fulfillment is. So this is a transition point from something old to something new. But to get a better understanding of what the Lord's Supper means, it would be beneficial to understand what they were doing during this Passover meal. This meal was very structured and orderly, uh, much like our Lord's Supper, but on a grander scale. And it was a beautiful occasion where the entire family was involved, with the head of the household leading it. 
Here it would have been Jesus leading it because he was their master and teacher. This occasion involved singing songs, symbols, wine, and food. First, it began with drinking wine. And yes, it was wine, not grape juice. See, since Prohibition, some have tried to tell us that wine in Israel at that time is the equivalent to Welch's grape juice today. Uh, That is not true. There is another word for grape juice in the ancient languages, and it is not used anywhere in the scriptures. It was alcoholic wine. And there would have been four cups passed around by the end of the meal. And each cup was to symbolize the four stages of Israel's deliverance, which God promised, uh, summarized in four words taken from Exodus chapter 6. These four words are bring, deliver, redeem, and take. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I shall deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I will take you to be my people. Four stages emphasizing four words celebrated with four cups of wine for rejoicing. So it began with the first cup of wine that they would pass around until it was finished. Then the youngest person in the house would ask the question, Why do we eat these foods on this night? And that is when the head of the household would recite the story of Israel's exodus out of Egypt. They would respond to the story by singing Psalms 113 through 115. Then they would pass around the second cup of wine. You're probably thinking if this was a small family, they'll be sleeping before the food comes out. Thankfully, there were 13 of them that night, so I don't think they felt the effects that much. After the second cup, the food would come out consisting of the unleavened bread, roasted lamb, veggies, stewed fruits, sauces, and bitter herbs. After the meal, they would pass around a third cup, then sing Psalms 116 through 118, Then they would end the celebration and drink the fourth and final cup of wine. It was a celebration indeed. But our passage begins after the second cup of wine as they were eating. And one thing to know is that right after they drink the second cup of wine and before the meal is eaten, the plate of unleavened bread is lifted up. And the head of the household would say these words, This is the bread of affliction, which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let everyone who hungers come and eat. Let everyone who is needy come and eat the Passover lamb. Then the bread is broken and eaten in silence as they remember what happened during the Passover. So with that in mind, what Jesus does next would have left them shocked. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, 
in the same way, so I'm guessing he would have lifted up the bread, similar to how they lifted up the plate, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. Imagine the look on their faces. Their response would have been something like, what? I don't think Jesus knows how we celebrate the Passover. That's not part of the routine. Jesus, I don't know how you did it growing up, but this is not how we do things. In fact, it would have been considered downright blasphemous for the average Jew. The question would have come up again, who is this man? They go from celebrating Passover, which focused on how God delivered them from Egypt, to Jesus making himself the center of attention, making himself the focus of the Passover meal. The bread is your body? What are you talking about, Jesus? But that was the point he was trying to make. Just like God delivered them from Egypt, he was to deliver them from their current state in the flesh and from their sins. Then it gets even more shocking. And he took a cup, that is the third cup of wine. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many Now, what was he saying? Was he saying that the bread has actually transformed into his body? Well, no. Did the wine transform into his blood? Was he asking them to worship the elements that he was giving them? Well, no. Because his body was standing there and his blood was not yet shed. It was a sensible sign It was a sign that you can touch and taste with your senses. A sign of what was about to be accomplished. He was telling them that when they come together and eat of this meal, it was to celebrate what was about to take place. Remember, the Lord's Supper is not only a solemn event, it is also a celebration. And when we come to the Lord's Supper, we should come with joy in our hearts. That very night, he would be handed over to the Jewish leaders, and the next day, his body would be broken for them. So after blessing the bread, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. And as the other Gospels record it, he says, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you, which will be broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me, just as I told you how to celebrate the Passover meal in Egypt. Notice that. Just as God gave Israel instruction on how to remember and celebrate their salvation from Egypt, Jesus, by his own authority, is giving them instruction on how to remember and celebrate their salvation from this world. Jude even identifies who saved them from Egypt when he said, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt. Well, I thought it was God who saved them out of Egypt. Exactly. In this way, it is a memorial, 
remembering what he has done. And this is why we continue to celebrate the Lord's Supper together to this very day. But that is not all. The Lord's Supper signifies and represents a few things that I'd like to go over with you. It is the covenant of grace represented. It is a sign and seal of that grace applied to believers. So first, it represents Christ and what he has done on our behalf. Uh, The focus in the Lord's Supper is Christ. And the bread and the wine were symbols of who he is and what he came to do. He says, this is my body and this is my blood for you. So the centerpiece of the Lord's Supper is Christ, not us. As we approach the Lord's table, we are to recognize that it involves Christ coming to us and giving to us himself and all of his benefits. It is not a sacrifice we give to God. But it represents the sacrifice Christ has given to God for us. As we were lost and dead in our sins. It is a gift. And all that we do in the Lord's Supper is come, receive, and rest in Christ's promises. And by His Spirit, He nourishes us and strengthens our faith. Secondly, it confirms our communion with Him. The Lord's Supper emphasizes the importance of having communion with Christ. Because when we partake in the sign and seal, we are expressing that we have a share in all things with Him. We are expressing that we are united to Him and are in fellowship with Him. Whenever we partake of the sacrament, we are saying that we are taking Him as our Savior and Lord and all that He has done for us. Not only that, but we are also saying that we have fellowship or communion with one another or whoever else partakes of the Lord's Supper. See, eating or consuming is an important element of fellowship or communion throughout the scriptures. Food and drink sustain life. Uh, Go back to the Garden of Eden and how God provided every tree that was good for food for Adam and Eve, but he told them not to eat from one tree. So just like consumption or eating is now a means of grace in the Lord's Supper, consumption was also a means of sin and death for our forebearers in the Garden of Eden. Eating was involved in the breach of fellowship with God. Later, God would also give them dietary laws for what they can or can't eat. But now we are confirming that through Christ and His work, our fellowship has been restored and we are eating and drinking to confirm that we have communion or fellowship with Him. This is why when we partake, it is not just a memorial. It is not just remembering what He has done. It is also spiritual. Listen to what Paul asks of us as he takes the Lord's Supper very seriously. He says the cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? It is much more 
than a memorial. So much so that he said that some were ill or dying because they approached the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Thirdly, it is a physical and visible means that God has provided for us to testify or proclaim the truth of the gospel. Paul says that whenever we partake of it, we proclaim the Lord's death. And we proclaim it to one another. This is the gospel for you. Christ has died for you. Fourthly, it is a means of renewing our thanksgiving for all that he has done for us. Each Lord's Day, when we gather for worship, we also refer to it as a covenant renewal. So in this way, the Lord's Supper, as it nourishes us, it also renews our thanksgiving to him for his death on the cross. This is why many traditions call the Lord's Supper the Eucharist, because that is the Greek word for thanksgiving. Folks, this is the true Thanksgiving meal. Fifthly, it distinguishes his disciples from the rest of the world. This supper was not open to the public. It was a private gathering. It was reserved only for those who have professed and followed him, even though one would fall away. The term church or ecclesia is the Greek word for called out ones. He has called us out of the world to be a distinct people. He has put his mark or seal on us. Hence why the Lord's Supper is called a sign and a seal of the new covenant of grace. And that grace is applied to believers by faith. Lastly, in in two parts, it is old, yet it is also new. It connects us to the past and the future. Jesus is instituting an ordinance for his disciples to observe until his return. So it is something new, while at the same time, it interprets something old. He was interpreting what the Passover really meant in its fulfillment. He was saying, this is what the Passover meal was really about. He was saying, all that you have practiced before has been fulfilled in what we are doing right here and right now. This is what it was pointing to. The major difference is that you no longer need to slaughter a Passover lamb because he is the Passover lamb to be slaughtered. And it is no longer the bread of affliction, remembering the bitterness of their time in Egypt, But his body is the Passover bread to be broken for us to seal the promises of our salvation to us. When we eat the bread, we are not to remember the bitterness of this life, but the promise of salvation that we have in Christ and how we can be secure in him. It is finished, is what this supper is saying to you. You are whole in Christ and you will be made whole in Christ one day. We see the revealing of this ordinance throughout the scriptures. It goes way back to when Abram was blessed by Melchizedek. Melchizedek brought out bread and wine, and as the scriptures explain, it was because he was a priest of God Most High. 
But this priest didn't bring any animal sacrifices. Why? Because he didn't need to. As the author of Hebrews explains, it's because he resembled the Son of God. He was sinless, eternal, and divine. Now, who does that sound like? And this was to show that Jesus' sacrifice is going to be greater than that of the animal sacrifices and greater than the sacrifice at Passover. His ministry is greater than Moses' ministry because his ministry is founded on the fact that he is the mediator of a better covenant who is also God and he lasts forever. It is founded on an indestructible life who offered an unchangeable and unrepeatable sacrifice. In the Old Covenant and during the Passover, there was a need to slaughter a lamb as an atonement for sin. But these were only types of and shadows of what was to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This is what he was revealing to them here. He was saying to them, I am the substance of all of your practices of old. But at the same time, he says, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. It points to something old, yet it is also something new, a promise of something that is to come in the future. It is a new covenant that he is introducing based on his finished work. It is a new covenant through Christ, By the shedding of his blood. Because there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. This is the contrast with the old covenant with Moses. When Moses confirmed the covenant and took blood and threw it on the people. And said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you. Well, now we have a new and better Moses. This is the new exodus. Think of what he is saying here. Think of what he is promising. And consider the Passover meal. By the time you get to the third cup of wine, what has he said so far? He has said, I will bring you out from under the burdens of this world. I shall deliver you from the slavery to sin. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Jesus is saying that he is the savior and redeemer in this new Passover story where God will pass over your sins because you are completely covered by his blood. He is your substitute who takes on the wrath of God in your place and now God binds you to himself and you will never be snatched out of his hand. This is a reminder Of that good news. So it connects us to the past. Remembering Melchizedek and the Passover. But also it connects us to the future. Since this is a new covenant. This means it will continue. Even after Jesus is raised and ascended. Paul says of the Lord's Supper. That as often as you eat this bread. And drink the cup. You proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. Though it is a proclamation of the gospel of something that has already happened, something that has already been accomplished, it also involves anticipation. 
as we await Christ's return. So in a way, in the Lord's Supper, it is saying that the Christian life isn't complete yet because our Savior has not returned. We have some walking to do as Christians. Jesus even says, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. But notice this. It says, And when they had sung a hymn, most likely Psalms 116 through 118, they went out to the Mount of Olives. But I think they forgot to do something. They forgot to drink the last cup of wine. The last cup of wine that says, I will take you to be my people. But I think that was on purpose. This would make sense given what he had just told them. This is to signify that this feast is not over yet. We will one day celebrate again. Now we don't know all the details of how this feast will take place. But we know that it will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb when he returns. When we will drink of this cup together with Jesus present. When we will finally be delivered and enter into the promised land. In our final exodus from this world. Where he will take his people to be with himself for all eternity. When we will see Jesus. And see all those who have gone before us. Who have placed their faith in him. Isn't that a joyous moment that we are anticipating? That we're looking forward to? But until then, we gather and celebrate the Lord's Supper together as we await with anticipation. And as we rest in Christ's finished work and we look forward to his return, Paul also warns that we are to examine ourselves whenever we come to the table. Because there was one at the Lord's table on that evening of Passover that did not belong to him. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, there were those who were being divisive. They were cliques. And there was a lack of consideration for others in the body. So he admonishes us all. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Discerning the body is not only discerning the fact that Christ has given his body over to be broken for us, but it also involves discerning and recognizing that we are all members of one another. Folks, this is why membership is so important. This is why the church stresses membership. Because we are all members of Christ and so we are members of one another. There is no such thing as rogue Christians. Or Lone Ranger Christians. We don't see hands walking around by themselves unless you're watching the Adams family. Right? The, the hand cannot exist without the body. And this is why I question those who say they are Christians but never become members. We are all one body, and if we breach fellowship, there are consequences spiritual consequences. So before you come to the table, you should ask, is there any unrepentant sin or bitterness or hatred toward God or toward any member of the church? And confess it. Confess your sins. 
Although the supper is about what Christ has done for us, it should also encourage us to examine our own lives in light of the seriousness of sin and how Christ has died for sin. His sacrifice for us should compel and propel us to good works. And so we ought to examine and test our own faith to see if there are any fruits. Now, this self-examination is not to make us leave the church and refrain from the Lord's Supper. It is not to discourage us when we see imperfections. The disciples that evening were not a perfect bunch, to say the least, and they would remain imperfect for the rest of their lives. The major difference between the 11 disciples who would remain with Jesus and Judas who betrayed Jesus was that Judas lacked a self-examination that would lead him to the feet of Christ for forgiveness and mercy. His problem was pride and self-reliance. It is so that we would repent and flee to Christ not away from Christ. Because this meal is for sinners. It is for sinners saved by grace. It is for those who see the depths of their sin and thirst and hunger for righteousness. This meal is for those who have examined themselves, see their need and flee to Christ and rely on His atoning work alone, His sacrifice on the cross for us as He has set it forth in this meal. So beloved, I want to encourage you to come to the table this morning and feast for this meal is for you. Amen.